And if you've had enough of us talking about money over the last few weeks, then just trap yourself in for the next 30 minutes, because we are going to be in uh, Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to read from verse 8 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 through to... Um, we're not actually going to read through to the end of chapter 6 just for time, but we will reference it a few times. We're just going to read to verse 2. So let me read that to you, and then we'll pray, and then we'll see what God wants to say to us this morning. It says this, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high officials is watched by a higher and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, why, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to his, accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavily on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, uh, even when it seems mysterious to us, even sometimes when it challenges us and provokes us, when it confronts our hearts and the idols in our lives, when it even confronts what we do with our money, our finances, how we use the possessions and the wealth you've given us. We pray that you would speak to us today, that we would leave this building or we turn off the TV at home or close our laptop and we'd know that you've spoken, that you've drawn near to us by the Holy Spirit and have led our hearts back to the throne of our King Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Amen. Amen.
Once upon a time, this city, Amsterdam, was a, a small fishing village and in a season which people would now look back to and call the, or if you go into the Rijksmuseum, they call it the Golden Age in the sort of 16th and 17th century where Amsterdam changed from a small provincial uh, fishing village and became this center of trade and commerce, of wealth. There was a time when 70% of the world's trade was all coming through our city as this fleet of 2,500 Dutch boats were sailing all over the world, gaining all the riches from the world and bringing them back into our city where the first stock exchange was birthed here. Amsterdam, in many ways, is the sort of the, the alpha city of wealth, kind of the alpha city of globalization, of money, of riches. And although that perhaps might not be quite so true of our city anymore, the legacy still remains. Our city is, uh, I think it's the sixth richest city in Europe, and that makes it one of the richest cities in the world. And it makes us, who, as those who live here, um, in one sense, we're rich too. Although it doesn't often feel like that. You know, I didn't wake up this morning and say to Joe, well, how should we get to church today? Should we take our, our Learjet or the, the Rolls Royce? You know, tell the butler to go and feed our ponies and, you know, get out my shiny new diamond watch. You know, our life isn't, we don't, we're not aware of riches and wealth in our life. It doesn't, we don't feel wealthy. Our experience of living in the city is not one of wealth. Our experience of living in the city is often we feel like it's expensive, <laughs> that it costs a lot of money to pay rent or to have a mortgage or to do your food shop, to buy your clothes. When the, the little blue letters come in and you think, oh, I hope this one's giving me money or is it going to take away more money? You know, when the gemente asks for more, you think, oh, where's, how? Often living in our city feels expensive, even though we know that even by the fact that we have bank accounts with money in them makes us in the very top percentile, the one top two or three percent of the richest people on our planet. That we have savings accounts, maybe even if you've only got a few euros in there, makes us richer than so much of the world around us or so much of the world if you went into many of the second and third world countries. We are comparatively rich, but it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like that. We have a desire in us, a need in us for, for more. That's one of the, the problems of wealth that it talks about in this passage is that wealth, money, possessions, they don't satisfy. The writer puts it very simply here in verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Money, wealth, possessions, they don't satisfy. They don't. We're always left wanting more. And the analogy that this writer keeps coming back to again and again in this book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about vanity, that uh, 
that all these different things that we try and build our lives upon are often, they're like a, a vapor, they're like smoke. You feel like you've got it in your hand and then just as quickly it's gone again. You feel like if we just, if I can, my salary can just hit this level, then we'll have enough. And then you get there and you realize you just need a little bit more. It doesn't quite satisfy. He uses this phrase again and again, this book of, of striving after the wind or, or shepherding the wind. Think about that, to, to shepherd the wind. It's impossible. And that's what it is to try and find satisfaction in money and wealth. It's impossible. So what Jesus said, Jesus said in Matthew 6, you cannot serve God and money. You, you can't. You cannot serve God and money. And yet, we, we want to all the time. We always want more. I saw a, a picture on social media this week of a, of a little girl who for her, for her birthday, she asked her family to, to make her a birthday cake uh, based on the Lion King. And she said, I want the scene, I want my cake to represent the scene where Mufasa dies and Simba's, the little son, is looking at Mufasa and that's the cake they made. And her reasoning was, because everyone will be too sad to eat the cake and it will be all for me. <laughs> little three-year-old girl has uh, she's in that little comment you get a little glimpse of the human heart that perhaps for a child it might be about cake but for us it becomes about about money wealth possessions we don't want to share it and when we when we do it feels painful it feels hard we want we want more for ourselves, and yet the reality is it doesn't satisfy in fact, it says in this passage that if anything, it makes life harder. In verse 11, it says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. You get more money, but you have to pay more taxes. That's kind of what this passage is saying. You get more money and you build up a, an estate, an empire, you build up wealth, but then you build up the thing, people that are dependent upon you to pay them. Things that you need to pay for. See, there's a, a lie attached to money that just a little bit more will make your life a little bit easier. If I just get this thing, it will get, make life easier. It's the lie of Ikea. You walk around the store and everything says to them, it, all it's saying to you all the time is easier, 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 better, nicer, shinier. It's, just, it's shouting at you all the time. Just, you just need a, 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 another, another sofa, another chair, another desk, another plant pot, and life will just be a little bit more glittering and glamorous, a little bit easier. But Jesus said in Matthew 13 that riches, they're deceitful. Riches are deceitful. They lie to us. They, they over-promise and they under-deliver again and again and again. Just, they make life harder. And not only do they make life harder, but they increase stress. The writer goes on to here, he drops in a tiny little proverb in this passage. He says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. 
See, we, we, there's another lie attached to money that if I just get a little bit more, it will take the stress out of my life. It will take the anxiety and the worry out of my life. We worry so much about money. You know, in, in my, in, Joe and I have been married for 19 years now, and I think probably the majority of our biggest arguments have been about money, where one of us has just been stressing, been worrying about it, and we worry. We get anxious. We fight. And we think if we just get more, it will, it will take that problem away. But actually, it, it does the opposite. The more money you have, the more it just sort of cranks up your anxiety. It promises relief, but it doesn't deliver that. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious because all things are added to us in Christ in seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, all things added. Another problem with wealth is that it doesn't last. It doesn't last. The writer gives us a little case study in this story. He tells us about a a father who loses all his riches in a bad venture. He wanted to give it to his son, but he isn't able to. And it says that as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. I'm sure you've all seen those images of in, a, in an Egyptian tomb with a with a mummy surrounded by all their riches to take into eternity with them. And yet we know that underneath all the wrappings of the mummy is just a dead body and the riches remain or they've been plundered, stolen by thieves. We, it's obvious, we, we, we can't take those things with us. And yet we live as though we can. We live as though we're trying to acquire more and more things to, to complete us, to fulfill us, and we build our lives on these things more and more and more. And in the end, we're, we're just living as Egyptian mummies, just as the living dead, thinking that these things will make us happy, these things will satisfy, but they don't last. They don't last. See, because the final problem is that ultimately the problem with wealth, with money, is it, it destroys the soul. Because you might think, well, who, who cares about eternity? Like, who cares if I can't take this shiny sword or this pot of cash? Who cares if I can't take that with me? What does that matter? You know, I'll just enjoy it while I'm alive. But if you see in this passage, it says that he shall take nothing for all his, his toil that he may carry away in his hand. All his possessions, all his money, all his wealth, he won't carry away in his hand with him. But what he will carry away in his hand is the rest of his life. Let's turn to 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me read a couple of verses from here. It says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, 
into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It will plunge your life into ruin and destruction. Money or the love of money will, will ultimately destroy the soul. So what's the solution? Well, first of all, it's, it's helpful for us to realize that those verses that I just quoted are really helpful. They're very important because it says the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. Not money itself, the love of money. See, money, wealth, possessions, they're not bad things. I'm not preaching to a message here that says, if you want to be a Christian, you just, you know, just have to wear sackcloth and just sell everything, go and you know, live in a boat, um, just sail around and grow your own fruit and veg and just you know, cut your hair yourself and you know, all of those crazy things. It's not, I mean, you can cut your hair yourself, that's fine. But I'm not saying that to be a Christian is about moderation. To be a Christian is about having nothing at all of just like living like a monk on an island, lonely and deprived. That's not, to have things, to have money, isn't bad. It's, it's the love of the pursuit of money, of treating money as, as a God that will fulfill you, that will satisfy you. That's what leads to all those things. That's what causes pain and suffering because it can't, it doesn't, it won't satisfy you. But you see, God gives money, possessions, wealth to us. He, he gives them to us. It talks, here it says that he gives them to us as a, as a gift. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. God has given wealth and possessions. He's given us the power to enjoy them. They're gifts he's given us to drink good coffee, to eat nice food to live in a good home, a blessing he's, he's given us. It's not a bad thing to have those things in your life. You know, we live in a, in a, as I said at the start, we live in a rich city. So we are comparatively rich. And, and what we were sharing before about the finances of the church, our desire actually is not to be, not to be a rich church, but we want to be a generous church. <laughs> If we live in one of the richest cities, we, 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 we want to give that away. We want to be generous. It's a, it's a gift God's given us to live in this city. It's a, this building that we get to worship in is a gift God has given us. And with these gifts he's given us, we want to bless. We want to give away. We want to be generous with these gifts. We want to steward them well. That's, that's what God teaches us to do with gifts, to enjoy them, and to steward them, to be generous with them. See, another solution that will help us here is to understand what you're putting your trust in. I guess that's what a lot of this boils down to. In the Ten Commandments, God tells us, he says to us, you shall not covet 
And that's the desire that we keep coming back to here, that there's a, a desire, a pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of money. It's a, it's a, it's a running after a, another God to find your comfort there. And yet, all that God can offer you is corruption and pain. See, it's... Don't trust the offers of wealth. See, part of what happens when you, when you live in a city like this is that the city, you know, we, as Christians, if you're watching this and you're a believer in Jesus, we, we want to love and serve our city. We want to bless it and we want to we see the kingdom of heaven come here on earth. But yet the danger is, is that in the end, it's our own souls that get changed by the city. We become conformed to the city, not the city conformed to us. And one of the ways that happens is by the love of money, which is all around us. But my encouragement would be to, to don't, don't trust that false idol, because if you do, it really is a, a shepherding, a striving after the wind. But rather, trust the one who commands the wind. That's what it says about him in the Bible. That God himself is... It's the Holy Spirit is, is the breath of God. It's the wind of God. He, he, he makes the clouds his chariot, it talks about in the Bible. He, he tells the north wind and the south wind, the east wind, he tells them where to go. He sends all the lightning bolts down. God's in charge of all things. So as we try vainly to shepherd and strive after the wind, it's just this vapor, this smoke, this vanity. God tells it exactly where to go. God provides exactly what we need when we need it. He's a good father who gives good gifts to his children. See, all of us within us, we have this insatiable longing, this desire. It talks about in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 6 that we have this appetite that can't be satisfied. We have these wandering appetites that are always searching, we're always wanting more because that's what God's designed us for. We're made to have longing in our hearts, to have desire in our hearts because we're made to worship. We're made to enjoy the grace and the love of God forever. He's put eternity in our hearts. That means he's put this desire to be with him for eternity. And what happens is the world tries to corrupt that and swift it around. So rather than eternity being our driver, our driver is finding that joy and satisfaction of worshipping little things around us. But ultimately, we find our, our true heart's desire fulfilled. We find peace we find the, the profit that we need, the gifts that we need. We find the treasure that we need by trusting in him and his gifts. See, the passage, or chapter 5, finishes with this wonderful promise. He says, he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And I... I want to set my heart, my life on that joy. I want it to be occupied. I want it to be made 
busy to be full of the joy of God. And one way that happens is we enjoy the gifts he's given us and that points us back to him. Let me read what it says in uh, Philippians chapter 4. It says, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Put your trust in him and he'll strengthen you. He'll help you to find your contentment, your satisfaction in him. And ultimately we do that by enjoying the gift of Christ to us. In, in Jesus Christ, you'll find more than you could ever have expected. You can find more than you've ever wanted. More fulfillment, more joy. When you come to him and realize that he's forgiven you, not only he's forgiven you, he's, he's dealt with your sins, with your evil desires to want more and more and more, to not share, to build up your own kingdoms and empires. When we realize what he's done for us, his love for us poured out again and again, we realize we found more in him than we can find anywhere else. Jesus says in John 6, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall know thing. Uh, sorry, let me find the verse because I'm trying to read from my handwriting. It's not working. Here we go. John 6. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, we, all the time we seek bread. That's a biblical word to, to speak of something to fill us. Bread to satisfy, money to fill that hole. But Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. So I encourage you to do that today. Come to Jesus and find the one who meets your needs. Come to him, find the one that gives his plentiful, abundant riches of grace and pours them out into your life, who will fill your hunger, who will satisfy your thirst, who has good things to give to us. Let me pray and Joan Wilson will lead us in worship. Jesus, we thank you so much. We just thank you for your good gifts to us. That we come to a good father who you've given us so much in this world to enjoy. You've given us so much to give away, to be generous with. And we can do that because you've been generous with us. And we just confess that so often we, we try and find satisfaction in money and wealth and possessions. But we know, it's you put it so simply here, that Money doesn't satisfy. But we can't serve both God and money. That the love of money will, in the end, just corrupt us. 
And what we really need is to put our trust in you. And we want to do that this morning. We want to just again affirm that, Jesus, we're yours. We want to follow you. We want to trust you for all the things we need in our lives. I just want to pray for anyone who is, who is in financial need, who money's become just an overwhelming uh, problem of stress and anxiety and worry. You, you don't know how you're going to pay those bills. You don't know how you're going to do what you need to do to get food on the table even. I just pray that they would know, first of all, your comfort today. I pray that they would know the provision of your grace in their hearts. And God, we do pray you provide. Provide. Would you meet our needs? That's your, your promise. That we can come to you and we can pray for our daily bread. We can pray for our provision. I just pray for any brothers and sisters that are watching this that are genuinely in need, that they would know your provision today. And I pray for us that you'd help us to be generous, to look out for those who are in need, to serve and to to give our lives and all that we have, to enjoy what you've given us, but to give generously into your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for your wonderful gift of grace to us. Amen.